Let us go to the word, Hebrews 11, 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. God is the Lord of faith. 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 Hebrews 12 verse 2. He is the Lord of faith. Um, because he is pleased by faith, as we just read. And he delivers those who delight him, who delight him. Uh, Psalm 22, verse 8 says, let him deliver him since he delights in him. So he delivers or saves those who delight him, and he rewards those who seek him. Again, from the passage we read, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 26 says, to the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. How many of you want wisdom, knowledge, and happiness? If you want that, what do you need to do? Have faith, which means what? What's the title of the sermon today? The faith that pleases God. That's right. So faith means to possess the faith that pleases God. People can say, I have faith. You have faith. I have my kind of faith. We have, I have this kind of faith. You have this kind of faith. But each week we have been sort of breaking down what faith looks like, what faith is, what the faith that God recognizes, not my definition, but God's definition, God's standard, God's expectation. And today, the faith that God is pleased by is what we're going to spend time on. So faith is to possess this kind of faith, the faith that pleases God. Job 22 verse 3 um, highlights that. What pleasure would it give the Almighty? So The almighty God seeks pleasure in faith. So it is through faith he is pleased. So faith life then is to make my goal, make it my goal to please God always. What is faith life? Making it my goal. Making my goal to please God. Yesterday? Today? Always. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, we make it our goal To please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. What is my goal? What is my goal? What is your goal? To please God. To please God. To please God. Yes, to please God. Even though um, Christians uh, testify, and we ought to testify, about the joy that God gave us, uh, has given us um, through the greatest gift, that is the grace of God through the Son, uh, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, we have to first know the importance of giving him joy. We have to first uh, delight him um, and be his joy. So the word delight um, is same as um, joy, uh, pleasing, or pleasure. So where the Bible says uh, God is pleased, right? So when you were, uh, if you were to look at um, the word to please. Or to delight, uh, in, as a word search in the Bible, you will find these words used interchangeably. So the idea of being someone being joy to God means that God finds uh, delight in that person. God is pleased by that uh, person. How many of you want to be that joy of God? It, would anything go wrong with somebody who's found to be joy of God? Not at all. Not at all. So to be delight, enjoy, pleasure, you can kind of bring that into human context in your everyday life, how you were raised and uh, what you experienced. To be someone's joy is great joy to me. 
Isn't it? Yeah. Even dogs know that. Uh, even dogs know how to please their owners, their master. And that's, uh, that's amazing, impressive thing about this species. It's, um, we're, they're not like us at all. But God made them to be human companions. So they love to please humans. That, uh, of course, the mediator is the treat. So <laughs> with the treat, they learn how to um, please. And it's just the wagging of the tail and just so happy to see the owner. I just want to do whatever that pleases um, the master, they don't understand our language at all. I mean, I remember seeing a cartoon that says, like, human is going like, Ginger, why did you go through the trash? Ginger, it's a bad thing. Ginger, how come you do that? The dog is sitting there, Ginger, Ginger, Ginger. Because Ginger is the dog's name, so Ginger, Ginger. Nothing else. They don't, like, why is this person upset right now? The pitch is no good. I'm not getting the positive vibe right now. They're not understanding anything, but they can sense the positive um, the emotional, they call it energy or whatever, that the, the dogs can pick up. So they want to please. So they don't want the negative energy, but they want the positive energy. So we have the, we're cooing and the picture of our voice, oh, good dog, uh, bad dog, bad dog, good dog, bad dog. So um, with the pitch and the treat, they figure out how to please their masters. Um, and then uh, you have human babies uh, who eventually do understand um, words and can communicate through language, and they learn how to um, please um, their parents initially, right? So um, parents teach them with words and saying, even using the word please, would you please give me that? You know, can you please get that for me? You know, do that uh, for me. So then um, when the child gets it, you know, can you, you dropped it. Can you pick it up for mommy? Can you, can you bring it for daddy? And they bring it. And, and if the parent responds in a positive way and say, good job, you're a star, you're, you're, you are, uh, you're sweetie, you're, you're a pleasure to us instead of your sausage. That's not good, right? It's like, what did you do? You're just, you know, what, you know what sausage is? Sausage is just junk stuck in. I know some of your favorite food, but it is just junk. You don't want to be someone's junk, but you want somebody is sweet pie, sweetie pie, or peach, or star. So when you hear those things as a child, you grow up thinking, oh, this is what makes my mommy happy. This is what makes my daddy happy. And when you make your parents happy, and then that becomes joy. And then it adds on to become that confidence for the child. And they grow up to be a happy person. And a person that's um, easy to be with. Lovely to be with. Um, so when the child grows up, and in, in human society, we have these relationships that we learn, even in school too. So uh, when you bring an apple to your teacher, I know, this is going to happen in Logos. I've said this, and then they bring me an apple. I'm like, no, that's not why I said what I said. But um, yeah, apple for teacher, meaning like you, if you show your appreciation to someone who really cares for you and teaches you and spends all the time on nurturing you, would the teacher not like you? You could call that person brown-nosing, but actually is to say, <laughs> I'm here to please my teacher who pleases me with great teaching. Um, it can never hurt, could it? Yeah, it can never hurt. Now, certainly, uh, when it comes to pleasing the officials and politicians, then you have the borderline of pleasing and bribing, so <laughs> that you may go run into some trouble. Um, but when you want to curry favor when you, uh, for someone, or you, you need their help uh, later on, doesn't help it doesn't harm to be on their good side by showing appreciation so 
Uh, you bring gifts to uh, those people who matter to you, those who are of higher ranking, uh, have greater power than you to help you in times of need. Um, they will open doors that are perhaps shut, uh, uh, you know, at your level with your own um, power. But um, th- with their power, they can open doors that are shut and make ways. So keep being giving gifts and showing favors. Uh, then uh, the reward is given. Um, but on the flip side... And the opposite concept of being a delight or joy is kill joy. You know the expression, kill joy? We don't want to be kill joy. Yes, kill joy, downer. Yeah, you know, those like, uh, everyone's having a good time. It's like, yeah, but the world's going to be over and tomorrow. Oh, God. Yeah. So, AKA party pooper, right? So, I'm like, everyone's like, this is a great time. And then you look at the person, they're going like, uh, yeah, that's party pooper. So, you don't want to be a party pooper. You don't want to be a kill joy. You don't want to be Debbie Downer. <laughs> um, uh, another word is uh, to grieve someone, to become someone's sorrow or displease. These are like the negative um, uh, ideas or images of someone um, in those relationships. So if you think about God being the Lord of faith, as the Bible indicates, he is the, God, uh, the Lord of faith who seeks faith, those of faith. But that faith looks like, uh, like this, and that is to please God. So it is not to please men or friends or parents, but uh, to please God, who is the Lord of faith, who holds all things in his hands. So would he not reward as he promises those who please him? Amen? And again, it says wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but more. You, you multiply you multiply infinity to that. He has the power to do so. So those of faith, trust that, believe that. When God created man, day six of the creation, um, he made him from the dust of the ground the same day uh, when he made the creatures that crawl on the ground. Um, and he made uh, the man to, uh, male and female, he made human, first humans, to procreate and rule over the earth. Um, but because they were flesh-only people, um, they lived only for the flesh. So describing them, now by then the earth is filled with humans, Genesis 6, 6, seeing them only pursuing things for the flesh and living for the flesh, living for the pleasures of the flesh. Genesis 6, 6 is the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Another translation says he was deeply grieved. So uh, in the quick read, you may think like, oh, God regret it. Like he made a mistake. He's thinking like, oh man, I should not have made. What a mistake. That's not what it means. There is no mistake to God. Do we believe that? If, if there is mistake, if something that he does wrong, he's human. He's not God. He is perfect God. And according to his perfect plan, he made humans and he knew that they will fail him. But expressing that, because this leads to the great judgment against the whole world by deluge, by the global flood. So it's leading up to that. So it shows us how uh, the fleshly man lived for the pleasure of his flesh and God was not happy. He was not pleased by that. Therefore, the flood came and drowned the whole earth. Only a few of faith survived. Now, um, among those, God chose one and breathed into him the breath of life, making a spiritual being. We have new faces here today. Let's go to Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living being. What became a living being? And what did the man become? A living being, right. So the man is the fleshly man that I just described. Um, so there were many, but among them God chose and breathed into that one man, 
the breath of life that comes from God. Because God is spirit, his breath is spirit, therefore the man became a spirit, spiritual being. He's called a living being. Altogether, what is he called? So this actually, uh, this man, this living being is called Adam. And he's the ancestor of all of us here. So it's referring to that man, but also referring to the spirit uh, the spiritual being, the living being. He becomes the ancestor for, uh, for all mankind. And Adam lived in the Garden of Eden um, where he was to live by the word of God that forbid him from eating from one tree. But he was deceived by a snake, a serpent, who is the devil, the fallen angel um, from heaven, the enemy of God. And because he was deceived to be like God and took the forbidden fruit, which is disobeying the command of God, Adam sinned. Because sin means to disobey. So after uh, he sinned, then he was cast out with uh, Eve, cast out from the garden. And then all men coming after him became hell bound, which is the result of sin. What's the result of sin? The price of sin? Hell. That's death, right? The spiritual death. So not the flesh, but the spirit will die in the place called the second death. Second death meaning that spirit will forever experience the pains and the darkness and the fright, the horror of death forever and ever in the spiritual body. So that becomes a fate for all mankind while emotionally in real life, in real life, physical life, we do see the result of displeasing God through sin in the life of, yes, men of faith of the Old Testament like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even someone like David who did please God but they'd experience um, being um, troubled in their hearts and grieving, uh, which, is, uh, which was because of their own children. So their children caused their heartache. They were um, regretful. They were sorrowful because of the children who caused um, them many hurts. Uh, and that is the reality of sinner. So spiritually, all men became bound for hell with the devil. Uh, emotionally and socially, um, being displeased and really experiencing sorrow as a result. However, we see the history of the Bible uh, starting with calling the people of Israel, God making the effort to make men God's joy once again, God's delight once again. So God called the people of Israel, who are the descendants of um, Abraham, uh, through Moses, he instilled in them, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and he um, reminded them um, through Moses, as Deuteronomy 10, 15 says, the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Because God was pleased with the faith of Abraham, God was pleased with the faith of Isaac, because God was uh, pleased with the faith of Jacob, of course, later on Joseph, and so many after that, even though spiritually they still had sin, right? And all, again, still bound for hell because of sin in the spirit, but they did have the faith according to God's command at the time, in their time, and obeyed and followed that pleased God. So God loved them. God loved Abraham, God loved Isaac, God loved Jacob, and the descendant coming, and because of that, God chose them to be the people of God. So for the sake of their ancestors, they were loved by God. God was pleased with them as their ancestors, ancestors pleased God. And in um, Psalm 135, verse 6, we see God saving them, delivering them from their slavery uh, in Egypt for over 400 years. And it says, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. So God brought them out of um, 
their slavery in Egypt uh, through the 10 plagues, God showed that he can do whatever he wants. Whatever pleases him, he does. Do you agree? That's what makes him God. Do you have a problem? It doesn't matter if you do or not. Right? Got a problem? Yeah, you better not have a problem. We better not have a problem because he is God and he will do whatever pleases him. So he made covenant with the people of Israel and it promised them that if they were to keep the commandments, uh, the commands and the decrees of the law, God will delight in them just as he, de- he delighted in their ancestors and that he will bring them into the promised land. That's what Numbers 14, 8 says. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. And Deuteronomy 30, uh, which all blesses all kinds of blessings that are namely physical blessings. Uh, the Lord God, um, in verse 9, the Lord God, uh, the, the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands, make you prosperous, blah, blah, blah. And it says, the Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. So do you think the people kept the commands and the decrees of the law? Yes, they tried. They tried. Although they were not always successful, they tried. Um, so God said, if you keep, then I will bless you this way. If, you, if not, I will be pleased to destroy you. So that's what we see. Um, that uh, close to 2 million people left Egypt, um, when Moses brought them out um, uh, during the Exodus, but almost all of them. How many people survived with that, from that generation, the initial generation that left? So it says 600,000 males, but you add others, about 2 million people. How many people from that generation ended up going to the promised land? Anyone know? Solamente dos, dos personas. Yes, only two. I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm just going to get back to English. Only two people. Only two people uh, survived. So 1 Corinthians 10, 5 says, God was not pleased with most of them. He was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. What are we seeing here? God is not pleased with number. God is not pleased with the likes. You know what I'm saying? The likes? Yeah. The likes and the followers, which is all about number. Popularity is all about number, right? God doesn't care about that, however. God was not pleased with most and killed them all, therefore. Wow. So the message looks like God is really, when he's displeased, he doesn't care. And he'll do whatever he wants, which is to destroy people. Um, And that's what Job had asked. Does God delight in punishment? That he would be willing to crush me and let loose his hand and cut off my life? Job 6, 9, he said that. But the prophets reminded otherwise. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, is what Ezekiel said in 1832, for I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord, repent and live instead. What does God want us to do? Want sinners to do? Repent and live. Again, this message is repeated in 3311, Ezekiel. Say to them, as surely as I live, I declares the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn from their ways and live. Do what? And? Same idea. Repent and live. Turn from your ways and that's what will please me. If you're found to be guilty in sin, quickly, immediately repent and live. God does not take pleasure in punishing and killing anyone. But because they refused to repent, they refused to turn from their ways and they were stubborn. They just stuck in going their way and not repenting, not turning to live. That's why they died. So we have to understand the the important attribute of God. He takes no pleasure in the death of anyone, including the wicked. 
Instead, he waits for one more sinner to turn from their ways so that they will repent and live. And Malachi goes on and continues to um, says this, uh, say this message in chapter 1, verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. So the corruption, the fall of Israel gets so great that even their priests start cheating God as they worship God. Just out of obligation, by force, they serve God. They give tithe and offerings, grumbling in their hearts like... God, why waste a good one? Just give the sick one. They're going to die anyway. So they were cheating God. They lost their heart, their sincerity, their honesty, and their passion. And they just did it for the sake of doing it. And that's when God said, I am not pleased with you. That is not a good statement. That is not good to hear. And that's why God had warned them that he would destroy them. And they will suffer because of the wrath of God as a result of that. However... Still, in the book of Psalms, you see prophecies about the one who is coming to give the sacrifice that will please God. In Psalm 46 to 8, the sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So there's someone who's going to come to do his will, that his law, his command is in his heart, and he will carry it out. Can you guess who that might be? Psalm 51 verse 19 says, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings and offer whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There will, there will be someone coming to be found as the righteous. And God will be pleased by the sacrifice of the righteous. Who's that about? It's about the Son of God, the prophecy about his coming. Hallelujah. But the people of Israel understood that as one day through the Messiah, a human king, that their kingdom will be restored. And the temple of Jerusalem, where the name of Jehovah was, the name of the Lord God, the God of Israel, was reminded them and guaranteed for that one day to come. So when the man who claimed himself to be sent by God In the name of Yeshua, he came and stood in front of the temple of Jerusalem. What did he say that upset them? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. John 2, 19, he said, destroy this temple. Namely, the priests were very upset. Even though they were giving this sort of useless sacrifice and and, and offerings that God was not pleased by, they were like, how dare you? Without the temple, we have no place to give offerings and sacrifice and we will definitely displease God. And the only thing that's left is to be killed and destroyed. But what Yeshua was saying, Jesus and Yeshua and his original name, which means the Savior, was referring to the temple of his body. He's saying, I'm going to be put to death, but in three days after death, what's going to happen to his body? He will resurrect. He will be resurrected. He, he will raise, be, be raised back to life. Now, through his death and his resurrection, what he would accomplish is that this time, God will no longer delight in the physical people who come, from flesh, who come from flesh and blood of Abraham's line. Remember, when the people of Israel were chosen, all of us didn't make it. Even if we weren't around, all of us just fell out. Like, it's only from the line of Abraham. Even if you go like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm so pretty. I'm so, I'm so powerful. I'm so smart. No, you come from the wrong line. Sorry. That is the reality, right? According to the Old Testament, God chose only the people of Israel. Everyone else, no matter how hard you try, you cannot please God. 
But what Yeshua is saying is that time is now over. That's why destroy the temple. The temple is no longer needed. Now I have come in my father's name. John 5, 43. What name is that again? The name of Yeshua. That now the delight of the Lord will come through the creator himself who always was, who is and is to come. The eternal God, the everlasting father will come and that through him, souls, many souls, souls of many nations will believe and God will find joy through the faith of such souls. Hallelujah. Especially for us. Amen. Where does it say that? Let's go to Proverbs 830. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. It's talking about someone who was constantly at his side, filled with the delight day after day, rejoicing always, always, always in eternity. Who do you think that this passage is about? Constantly at his side. In the New King James, and it's actually, this part is omitted in the later translation, but in New King James it says, that I was beside him as a master craftsman, which is a key word here, master craftsman. That's referring to a creator, the one who made it all things, was at the side of God, always, always being his joy. Who is this referring to? Yeshua? Was he called Yeshua then? What Was he called the son then? What is he known as? The Word. I love it. Let's go to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who was with God in the beginning? The word. And verse 3 says what? Through him all things were made. So all things were made by who? Yes, by God. But specifically here, the word who was with God made all things. Amen? This is where you have to be like, the Bible is perfect. Perfect in connecting to reveal Yeshua. Hallelujah. Verse 18 says what? No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now we know for sure who Proverbs, that that verse in Proverbs is referring to. I was at his side always. As a master craftsman, as the creator, I was with him, always. And being his joy, always. Being delight to him, always. Who is he? Verse 14 says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is referring to the son, Yeshua, hallelujah. So he is the creator who was with the father in the beginning in eternity, And what was he doing? He was pleasing the father. Always. He was at his side, it says, but it's like, as I explained to you before, in the bosom, the father's bosom, like my hand inside my jacket, like being one, intimately one with the father. And when he was with the father that way, he was pleasing him. The joy of God, the delight of God, the happiness of God was with him in the beginning. And then when it was time, he became flesh. And there he is saying, destroy this temple for the delight of God has now come. The creator who created all things has now come in the flesh of men. In the eyes of God, in the eyes of men, he was just a man. That's why John 1, 11 says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to the world that he himself made, but the world that he made, the people that he made did not recognize him. So they did not receive him. 
But he is the creator of all things, creator who was with the Father in the beginning, pleasing him. He has now come in the flesh of man as the Son of God. He came, and this time, not through animal sacrifice, sacrifice and offerings, will he please God. That's the time of the Old Testament. And they failed. They failed. Because no way, even if they successfully gave, that is not what God is pleased by. For finally, the one who truly pleases him, who always pleased him, has now come into the world, coming out of the bosom of the Father, as man he came. And that is Yeshua, the Word incarnate. Hallelujah! Let's go to Hebrews 10, 8 to 10. There it's citing um, the psalm that I had read before. Hebrews 8, 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verses 8 to 10. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burn offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first, establishes the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All. So now he has come in the body, the flesh of man, to now be given as sacrifice, not animal sacrifice, burnt, to be given as burnt offerings and gifts to God that cannot delight him perfectly. The joy of God, the delight of God, the perfect eternal joy of God has now come as man to do what? To lay down his life. And give that perfect sacrifice, perfect offering, to be a perfect offering, to delight the Father, he came. Amen. In that giving, he was to give chance for those who believe him later on, to also delight God. Hallelujah. Now, of course, the people did not recognize him, and they only looked at his appearance and where he comes from. For a while, they followed him because he performed miracles. He, he healed the sick, even raised the dead, multiplied food. So they were fascinated by him. But eventually, they left him one by one. They could not get over what they saw. So they mocked him even. But we see after he was baptized, coming out of water, there was voice from heaven saying what? This is my son with him. I am well pleased. Whose voice was that? The voice of the Father God from heaven. Hallelujah. Giving that approval, seal of approval. This is my son. There were many people who were baptized, but no voice was ever heard. There were people who pleased God in the Old Testament. So when you read through um, chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is the chapter in faith, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. Every paragraph starts like that. These people please God with their faith. But there was never a voice in heaven saying, this is the one who pleases me. I am well pleased with him. No one but the son who comes from him. Hallelujah. So Matthew 17 verse 5 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Same thing happened. Elijah, Moses, next to Yeshua. But they disappear because there's only one who can please God. But does please him. And the voice said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In addition to what was already said. The voice said, listen to him. Because this is the one who does everything to please me and speaks to please me. And that's what Yeshua said in John 8, 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. So every step he took, every word he spoke, pleased the father. Even though men rejected him and left him, even his followers, his 12, abandoned him. And he was led away to the cross to be killed. 
even to the last breath. In fact, as he laid on his life, what did he say? What did Yeshua say? It is finished. As he breathed his last, the moment of his death, he was putting the punctuation mark, period, and saying, I have now done everything and completed all the work to please my father. And the father received him. Hallelujah. How do we know that? Let's look at, first of all, this prophecy in Isaiah 56, verse 4. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them. I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Oh my goodness. Isaiah is prophesying right here, had prophesied right here about the one who would choose to do what pleases God. Who is that referring to? Some temple court eunuchs? No, no, no. This is about the one who will lay down his life. In John 10, 17, 18, he says, I lay down my life on my own accord. On my, uh, on my own. Willingly, I, my, I lay down my life. I choose to lay down my life. It's not suicide, but it is according to the father's command. So here is the son laying down his life by his choice. He choosing to do what the father is pleased by. And the promise is what? That he will receive the everlasting name that is above every name. At the name of Yeshua. That every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. And all that will be to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. That he has done according to the prophecy that he, his life ending at the cross was not by force. But it was by his choice according to the Father's command. Because he knew that only when he laid down his life he will receive it back. And he will receive it back. As he said, I know that my father's command leads to eternal life. John 12, 50. He will receive the eternal life that he will never lose it again. But he will receive that promise of the name, the everlasting name that is above all names, the name of the father, the name of God, the name of Yeshua. So he said, Father, into your hands I, com- I commit my spirit. Meaning, Father, save me. Just as Psalm had said, 22, verse 8. Let him deliver him since he delights him. Psalm 40, 13, be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Those words are not about David or any man, but actually words of Yeshua as he laid down his life. And the father did rescue him, help him, raise him back to life. Hallelujah. He judged the origin of sin, the devil, through his perfect obedience at the cross. And by laying down his life, being torn in his flesh, he paid the price of sin. And by his precious blood that he poured out, He made peace. He reconciled all things to God. Colossians 1.20 says, Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So his blood was shed to make peace, to bring two together, the broken relationship to be made one once again. The sinners who are broken away from God to be made one with God again. He laid down his life and shed his precious blood. In three days, the father finally raised him back and took him up to heaven where he sat down as the Lamb of God. Revelation 5, 9 says, receiving all glory and all honor, all power, all praise, for he is the eternal joy, eternal delight of the father. Hallelujah. That's why in heaven, there is no regret, there is no sorrow, there is no grief. There's no one party pooping out there, 
no kill joy, no, no downer. It is only filled with joy and delight, happiness, pleasure. Because the pleasure of God, the eternal joy of God is there. Hallelujah. It is from there the Holy Spirit came to the world, specifically to the believers in the world. Who are believers? Believers are those first they know their souls and that they have received the blood of Yeshua. Say amen if you ever see the blood of Yeshua. You have been forgiven by the blood of Yeshua. You have been justified by the blood of Yeshua. You have become children of God. Through the blood of Yeshua. Amen. Now the Holy Spirit comes to search souls to do what? Just as the Son perfectly pleased the Father. It is now our chance to please Yeshua. To become joy, become the joy and the delight of Yeshua. Of my Lord, my Savior, my King Christ. The Holy Spirit came. So Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, to, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. For us to please God, please Yeshua, please my Father, our Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit lets us know. Now, some people take this wrong, and then they think that a, a, gift, of, a gift of the Holy Spirit, which I have yet to find, is this laughing joy. So they think, like, receive the Holy Spirit is going to make them laugh. <laughs> so, um, you... Yeah, you, you might have seen or might have heard. Maybe you can find it on YouTube. But we were aware of some people back in the day when those charismatic movement and people are filled with the, their anointing of the Holy Spirit. They're kind of like falling and then they are laughing. They're laughing. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> I've actually never found in the Bible anywhere that says the Holy Spirit made people laugh. Um, so people misunderstand that, thinking that the becoming joy and delight to Yeshua is somehow laughing. The Holy Spirit does not make us laugh. Rather, the Holy Spirit lets us discern whom we should please. Who it is that I need to live to be delight to. To please. That is to please God. It is to please my Savior, my Lord, Yeshua. That's what the Holy Spirit lets us know. And Romans 8 says, then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you are seeking pleasures of your flesh... Doing things for your flesh. Doing things according to your flesh. What your flesh craves. You do it to satisfy that craving and that pleasure. That delight, that joy. You cannot please God. So right away we see in opposition. Pleasing God is not pleasing the flesh. Pleasing the flesh does not please God. So the Holy Spirit lets us know that. My flesh, the flesh of others, to receive, to get likes from others, school, workplace, family. I don't want to be liked. I want to be liked. Yes, like I said, dogs like to be liked. Babies like to be liked. It's human nature to be liked. But what the Holy Spirit is saying is not go with what the nature wants, what the flesh wants, but to go with what the Spirit wants, and that is to please God. So a believer, the believer, a true believer, by the help of the Holy Spirit is first, he who walks with God. He who walks with God. He walks with God. A believer walks with God. 
So this is like now, again, coming to, to us. Now this time, like I'm really looking in the mirror. I have to look at my reflection. Am I walking with God? So what does it mean to walk with God? To walk in the direction with God. Same direction with God, same direction with Christ. And going with the same heart. Today, tomorrow, until the end. Now the model is, as we read in Hebrews 11.5 there in the beginning, Enoch. Enoch and Noah. So first starting with Enoch. Who is Enoch? Uh, in Genesis 5, you read about Enoch there. I'll read it in 5, uh, 521. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. And had other sons and daughters, altogether Enoch lived a total of 365 years. So he's the father of Methuselah. And then um, doesn't say anything else besides that. Interesting, I was reading Jude the other day and it just came to me. I was like, oh my gosh. In Jude 1.14, Jude actually has one chapter, but it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. So in the Hebrew text, in Hebrew Bible, there's a book of Enoch. So I saw the footnote and the Jude has that incorporated there about Enoch. So we get a little more information of who Enoch is. And then we come to Hebrews where we read in 11.5, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Now his death... So he, he died, but his death was not like people seeing him dying. He was actually taken up. So that's not resurrection, however. But basically without experiencing dying, he died. So he was taken up like maybe his body just evaporated. Nobody saw him dying. So just like Elijah taken up, right? That's not resurrection either. So taken up. Why? Why did, was he taken up? What did he do? Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. What did he do? So we have to put all these pieces together. So what did Enoch do? Again, we don't have much information about him, but he pleased God. And before he died, people around him were witnesses to how he lived his life. And that his life was walking with God. Walking with God because to the point of naming his only son, well, only son, but his son, their name, Methuselah. Anyone know what Methuselah means? End. E-N-D. End. Yes. Imagine naming your child End. End. So why do you call your child End? Because the world is going to end. Did the world end? Did the world end? Who is Methuselah? He's the son of Enoch, but he's somebody's grandfather. Anyone know? Whose grandfather? Noah. So when Methuselah was 969, he died. And it was the year, what happened? The flood came. Are you getting, is the hair standing up behind? Yeah? So Enoch had a sense that there was judgment against the world. So he even named his child saying, And the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. We better be ready. I'm going to do everything that pleases God. Every walk that I take is going to be with him in his direction and is according to his schedule. That's what Enoch did. So a believer who pleases God is someone who walks with God in the same direction, going together with God until the end. So Noah, 
down the generations from Enoch, Hebrews 11 says, By faith Noah, who when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So he was warned about the end coming in Genesis 6, 9. It describes him as this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Remember, Noah also had sin in his spirit because he's a descendant of Adam. But still he pleased God. How? Because he walked faithfully with God. Just like Enoch. Walking with God had him. God was so pleased with Enoch that God took him away. Took him away. Took him up. Taken up to heaven. He went. And here's Noah, his descendant, who also walk with God. So walking with God is walking together until the end. Same direction, same heart. Even if you don't have to constantly tell them, like, we're going this, we're going this way. You already know your comp- where your company, your companion wants to go. Because you're one with that person in heart. That with joy you walk. There's like Joe Cabbies, you know, like they, they can see in the back mirror, like the lovers in the back seat or pet couples were about to get divorced, you know, because like when they get in the car, it's like the two of them don't even talk and they look out the window. The other Lovers that can't keep their hands off of each other, just like holding, hugging. But when we are one together, we are looking in the same direction, going the same way with same heart, not just yesterday, not just today, but All the way until the end. Just like Enoch and Noah. Until the Lord comes back. Just like Enoch did not see experience death. We long to be taken out when the Lord comes back. Is this true for you? So on the flip side. Walking with God means what? That you don't walk. The believer does not walk with the deceitful. He does not walk with hypocrites. Psalm 26 says. I do not sit with the deceitful. Nor do I associate with hypocrites. Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harms. You know who your friends are, right? You know, you, you are your friends. Yeah, you, you, you are what you eat. You are who your friends are, right? That's sort of the same. So yeah, when they want to know about some accused or some suspect, they go to Facebook or Instagram and see who their friends are. So if your friends are deceitful, hypocrites, foolish, then you too are deceitful, hypocrite, and foolish. Yeah. Not my words. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs twenty two twenty four. it says, do not make friends with, I feel a little guilty reading this, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. <laughs> Losing temper. Because when you are with such person or such people who are violent, cannot control their emotions, cannot control themselves, these are unhappy, complaining people who we are not to associate with. As Amos 3.3 says, for two do not walk together unless they agree to do so. So you can't be walking with somebody and be like, I did not know. What? This person is deceitful? This person is hypocrite? What? I did not know this person was unbeliever. Of course you did. Your fate. Is your companion. Your companion is your fate. That's why Psalm 1 1 says. Blessed is he who does not walk in step with the wicked. Or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. 
So walking with God is sharing the same direction with God for that person becomes joy of God. They continue to have the joy walking with God. How many of you want that? Keep walking with God and be rewarded with joy. Amen. That while I'm alive, I need to be commended for my faith. That my neighbor has to be witness for my faith. Not like, oh, that was, they were a believer? I did not know that. They need to know that. Oh, yeah, she's always at church. He's always at church. He's always saying, let's go to church. So that when a person dies, the church is not going like, do we do like a funeral service for them? Because we're not sure if they're saved or not. That's not Enoch. That's not Noah. While I'm alive, I have to be commended for my faith. So turn to your neighbor and say, are you my witness? If the person said, I don't know, I have to pray about that, we're in trouble. I sure hope that you will be my witness. Amen. Amen. Secondly, believer is someone who keeps the command of Christ, command of God, and does what pleases God and receives anything that he asks in turn. So 1 John chapter 3, 22 says, receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Do you want to receive what you need? When you ask in your prayer, do you want answer to your prayer? If you, if you pray without, expect, without an expectation for answer, then you're wasting. Why are you doing what you're doing? When we pray, we expect, we look for answer, yes? But here's a secret. Don't just pray and then not keep his command. Don't just pray and not do what pleases him. Pray and keep his command. And praying is keeping his command. And do what pleases him. And then right away, you'll be given whether it's wisdom, knowledge, or happiness. Hallelujah. How do we do what, 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 what is doing what uh, pleases him look like? Romans 14, 18 to 19 says, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. Pleasing Christ, serving Christ is pleasing Christ, pleasing God. Serving Christ, the body of Christ is pleasing God. Serving members of his body is pleasing God. Oh, that's where you're getting at. I see. This is the point of the sermon. It's part of the point. Yes. And that's what the Bible says. That's why I'm always reading to you. It's not my words. These are words of the Bible. So serving Christ is pleasing God. Do you agree? Do you believe? Do you want to serve Christ to please God? How do we serve Christ? You can't be like, I'm serving Christ out there and I don't like these people, this church. Yeah, yeah, but I'm serving Christ. It is just saying like, I love the head, but I don't like the body. I'm kicking the body. The head of the church is Christ. The name Yeshua is the head of the church. What is the body of Christ? Hello. What is the body of Christ? Church. Say it with me. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. I am a member of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a member of the body of Christ. I want to serve you like I serve Christ. Look like you mean it. So serve Christ, serve the head, serve the body, serve the members. Amen. It's not like I serve God on my own or by myself at home. Some people are like, I serve my family like I serve the Lord. You don't need to know Christ to serve your family. People do that plenty, even without believing God. So how do you look different? How does your life look different than those people who do not even know God? 
So when we know Christ and we believe in Christ, we serve Christ following him and following, walking with him, then I have to walk with the church and serve the church. That's what it means. And serve the members. And then what's promised? Hebrews 12, 28 says, we are promised to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. Thirdly, the believer is an evangelist, somebody who evangelizes, who preaches the good news, the gospel. This is doing the work that pleases God the most. What pleases God the most? The work of saving souls. Because for that work, God sent his son. The only begotten son, the word who became flesh, Die, laying down his life, becoming ransom for all men. So one more soul can know, hear and know and believe and be saved. So 1 Corinthians one twenty one, Paul said, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So in the eyes of men, this is a foolish thing to chase after strangers and say, Do you, are you a Christian? Do you, but can I have your number? Can I have your number? Please. I'll buy you dinner. I'll buy you whatever you want. Oh my God. And this person is like a bot, whatever. Their supervisor. I'm like, yeah, you do this at work. But like, yeah, yeah, please. Like all that. Why? To, to have a chance to share the good news, to save the soul. Even though in the eyes of men, this is foolish. This is what brings the greatest joy to the master, our God, our Lord. What do you think? Amen? The greatest joy for God is to see the lost return to him. As in uh, Luke 15, Yeshua had said in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What is God pleased by? Seeing one more soul hearing about what he has done through Jesus Christ. And turning from their way, turning from their ways to live. That's what he wants. That's the greatest joy for him. So that the father who welcomes the prodigal son in verse 32 there says, My son was dead and is alive again. My son was lost, but now found. Hallelujah. So God is pleased by saving souls through this effort of evangelism. So at times we might not be fruitful. At times we might not be able to find souls, but the effort that we are making is what pleases him. And then on top of that, we do eventually bring a soul. Oh my God, a soul comes and I'm able to bring a soul to register in the church. And not only that, now start to come to the Lord's Day service with me and joins the Wednesday meeting or other group meeting and starts to pray. And as I'm leading the soul, they're repenting and even giving dedication and offerings and serving. Wow. That is great joy for me. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4, 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, long for my joy and crown. My joy and crown. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God. So to the eyes of, in the eyes of men to men, this is a foolish act. Undesirable act. But when I'm doing it, he is pleased. God is pleased. And when God is pleased, he rewards me with his joy. I become joy to him. What I'm doing becomes joy to him. And then in turn, he gives me his joy. So that the souls that I reached out to, that I'm putting, I'm doing the work of saving. 
So any work, any work, and every work that's involved in saving soul. Yes, we have to put effort. Every one of us to evangelize, evangelize and share the gospel. But bringing soul and caring the soul, caring soul and serving the soul, taking care of the soul. All of the effort that's involved in saving soul pleases God. Hallelujah. The question is, when the Lord returns, do you believe the Lord is coming back? And when he returns, he seeks those who please him. And the Son of Man returns. Will he find faith on earth, he said. Will he find faith on earth? Wow, there's so many churches in the world and so many people who come to church on Sundays. And they call themselves Christian. Check off in the form. I'm a Christian as opposed to other things. There are a lot of people. But why did the, why did the, why did the Lord say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith, the faith that pleases him on earth? That's the question. Then bring that question to yourselves. Am I pleasing God? Is what I'm doing pleasing the Lord? What I'm thinking and doing and choosing to do, is this pleasing the Lord? Is this pleasing Christ? Am I delight to Christ? Am I delight to the body of Christ? Uh Uh-oh. Wow, that's a different thing, isn't it? When you think about being a delight to God, God is so far away. He knows my heart. I'm I'm his delight. But let's bring it home. The body of Christ, the church. Am I delight to the church? (gasps) Wow, that's, that's very challenging. Am I delight to the body of Christ? Because the body of Christ, the church, is where the Holy Spirit works. And the warning is this, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve him. Do not be a downer to the Holy Spirit. Do not be a killjoy to the Holy Spirit. That's what that warning is. The body of Christ is the body of the Holy Spirit. You, you, are, concer- you are becoming concerned to the church. You are becoming concerned to the Holy Spirit. You are putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit because you grieve the Spirit. Romans 8.26, the spirit through wordless groans. He's groaning. You don't hear it, however. The warning is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The same is do not grieve the body of Christ. So as we're gathering together in the body of Christ on the Lord's Day as the church, we are giving him worship here. Through praise, we're pleasing him. Through our offerings, we're praising him. Through our service that we are Pleasing him, making the effort to please him, not to please men. So whether I am evangelizing, having brought a soul, I'm serving or cooking or teaching or babysitting or playing music or, or cleaning or doing technical stuff, whatever it is that I'm doing, this is to not please men, but please God. So that means even without recognition, without pray, being praised, Without people clapping for you and saying, good job, good job, good job. Employee of the month today in Walmart is. But people like that. Where's the recognition? Man, I need to be recognized. I've been, I've been doing this for 10 years, 15 years. No recognition for me. I throw in the towel. I'm not doing it anymore. That's when we're being tested. Even if nobody ever gives me kudos, nobody ever claps their hands and applauds me or makes an announcement that I'm a good servant of Christ, that will I continue to do it for the one who sees me in secret? Even after everyone has left the building, there's nobody around, but I'm sticking around hours later, cleaning up, turning up the light, turning up the heating and cooling, cleaning the toilet, make sure the whole house is okay because I want to please the Lord. So, The question is, is the Lord pleased with your worship and service today? That's the question.
question. The pastor who prays for the church and every member, the member of the body of the church. And people say, oh, pastor only loves the newcomers, doesn't care for me. I said, have it? Like, I never even said it, but they always have this notion. It's like, I'm old and I don't have newcomers, so she does not like me. I mean, certainly, when, it's like, I see you every day. So why am I going to hold my hand? Like, God oh, bless you. I was like, okay. Hey, newcomer. Came back for the second time. Hallelujah. And they're like, well, you're the center of the attraction today. Yeah. Pastor visits a regional group and she's focusing on the newcomer and the other person next to them. Yeah. I know. You know, it's like we can see that in Joseph and his brother relationship, the jealousy. It's so real, right? We can connect with that. Everyone wants attention. Everyone wants to feel like they're number one. And when anyone wants to be a star, not a sausage, right? So we can connect with that. But if you're mature in your faith and truly believing and truly doing, therefore, to please the Lord who sees us in the secret, even if that is done, then all the more you take care. Wow, this is a newborn baby. Totally baby, clueless. I need to help the soul. Join the effort and be joy to the Lord. Hallelujah. So even in the regional group and group gathering, whether it's a YG or adult group or whatever it is, you go in, young adult groups, you're gathering. Not everyone's going to be the party maker. Not everyone's going to be a cup of, your cup of tea. There's going to be somebody who's going to be like, you ask them, everything's negative. Yeah, nothing is going to Okay. <laughs> you don't want to be that person. Certainly, we all have problems. We all have challenges. And we are going to go through difficult times. But it is to go back to the grace of God. Why am I here? Why do I need to be here? I'm a soul saved by the grace of God. And I want to be a joy. I want to be a delight to the Lord whom I love. I want him to say, I am well pleased with you, my child. You don't want to be a, da- a downer or kill joy for your regional group or your regional group leader, for example. I want to be joy. I want to be, I want to be delight to my leader, delight to my pastor. That means delight to church. Again, it's not to please man, human like us. But if the leader is doing by the spirit in the same direction, we are walking with our leaders, walking with the spirit, walking with God. So all the days of our lives, we are to not become concerned to the Lord, the body of the Lord, but to be joy to the Lord and joy to the body of the Lord and the members of the body of the Lord. So when the Lord comes back and seeks faith, there will be no doubt at all. Come, come, come. I will take you up. You'll be taken up to heaven to be with me where there's only joy and delight forever and ever. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let's close our eyes. I know a lot of people come to church and come to know God or are wanting to know God because they need God. Certainly we need God. We need him. And we need his joy. We want him to make us happy and joyful again. But before asking and wanting and demanding even, ask yourself, am I joy to the Lord? Is what I'm doing pleasing to him? Or are you like one of those priests in Malachi, just by force and by obligation, serving? The Lord said, that's useless. You're not, you're not pleasing me. I am not pleased with you. So ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? 
Am I serving him to be delight to him? Or am I just doing out of obligation to save your face, save my face? I want to start over. I want to start over, Lord. Have mercy on me. Give me another chance. I want to clean slate. I want to wipe out all my past. Put it all behind. I want to strain forward. Press on to be delight to you. I do not want to have the faith that I think I have. And I'm happy. I'm satisfied on my own. Which is not faith at all. The faith that is faith to you is the faith that pleases you. Let's lift up our hands to seek his help. Help me. I want to be your delight. I want to please you. Yes, you are.